Thank you, Lona, for reading our scripture this morning. And good morning, Tri-Cities Church. Good morning. Oh, man. Like, I start my day off well. I have, uh, actually, this morning I didn't have coffee, uh, so I need a little bit more energy in the room. I had a little green tea uh, this this morning. Uh, Typically, I have a very large cup of coffee to get me going. Uh, So good morning, Tri-Cities Church. All right, all right. Hey, that's better than my coffee. Uh, Well, welcome to Tri-Cities Church. Hey, if this is your first time here with us, we do welcome you. I'm Wesley, one of the pastors here, and I'm glad that you chose uh, Tri-Cities Church to worship with. Hey, I was was, um, just thinking this morning and uh, really in conversation with with someone about beginnings and the beginning of Tri-Cities Church and um, how we are coming up on our fifth year anniversary. And I was, yeah, yeah. Um, we are excited about that. That is in January uh, of next year. We will be celebrating our fifth year anniversary. I think I mentioned it once. Mark your calendars. It is MLK Day weekend. Do not plan to be at the lake. Plan to be here and celebrate with us uh, as, as we celebrate what God has done here at Tri-Cities Church. Uh, the conversation I was having this morning was just saying, um, we, we are, you know, I, I have a hard time, I'm kind of in this weird space of describing Tri-Cities Church, because I always have described our church as a new church, uh, and we're still a new church comparatively, uh, but coming up on five years, I feel like I need another descriptor. Uh, maybe we're an uh, adolescent church. Um, maybe, maybe that works. Uh, no longer an infant church. Um, but God has done incredible things here at Tri-Cities Church, and so if you're here with us, we do welcome you here to this uh, growing community of faith that's growing uh, in our relationship with the Lord and putting emphasis on um, the importance that God has for us to uh, live out faithfulness and community uh, with one another. As part of that effort, we've been in the Gospel of John uh, this year. Uh, Since the beginning of the year, we've been journeying through the Gospel of John and not jumping around from series to series, but going from the beginning till the end. We still plan on arriving at the end of the Gospel of John by my calculations on December the 10th. I think we will arrive there. If not, uh, we will prolong it a little bit longer. Uh, But we've been in this Gospel, and I've found it very beneficial, and hopefully you have too. Uh, just spending a long time in one book of the Bible uh, and gaining a more comprehensive understanding of what um, Jesus says to his disciples as John has it recorded for us. Well, uh, let's pray and then we'll get into our message this morning. God, we do give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to gather in this place and to read your word, to read your words that were spoken a long time ago to people who, um, who were following you and trying to figure out what it meant to follow you in the future. And here we are, we have made a decision to follow you, to be and live as your disciples, and we are trying to figure out what that looks like tomorrow and in the days ahead. And so, God, we just pray that as we study this scripture together this morning, that you will open our eyes, that you will open our hearts, that we might receive it, that you will help us to understand how we can apply it, that you'll give us boldness and strength and courage that we can know that we will live it out. 
God, we just pray that you will come alive through us. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, it takes a long time to get to know someone, right? You don't, you don't know someone over, overnight. I was thinking this morning just about, it, it's been a long time since I've done a job interview, but if you've ever gone on a job interview, usually you try to anticipate, at least I try to anticipate uh, the questions that they're going to ask, and I write my own answers to the questions that I anticipate that they're going to ask so I can be prepared to tell them uh, about how perfect I am and good I am without sounding too egotistical and prideful. Um, but ultimately, you want to shine, right? You come into an interview, a job interview, you want to shine. You want to be liked. You want them to know you but not know you so well that they don't hire you. Because the truth is, right, the truth is that all of us have something hidden in our lives, and, and, uh, and it's impossible to know someone in a 30-minute interview. And a similar thing if you're dating, right? If you're dating, maybe you're uh, doing online uh, uh, dating and you are uh, on a site or maybe you meet someone and you talk about your likes and dislikes. And just because a person likes long bike rides and go into the high museum of arts does not mean that they're the perfect person. It's just because you like doing those things as well, right? You need to know something about their character, their personality, their attributes, their temperament, Somebody who likes long bike rides and going to museums is very capable of, like, tying you up and putting you in their basement at the same time, right? uh, Just an employee that's hardworking might be hardworking at stealing your stuff, right? Just because you know some details about a person does not mean you genuinely know someone. And when we get into the Bible, one of the things we see Um, is that God has chosen to reveal himself to us. God has chosen to make himself known to us. In fact, in the Bible, we have God's revelation to his people. In fact, there are thousands of years of God's interactions with people that are written about in this book. And so as we flip through the pages of the scriptures, we get to know God Almighty, the creator of the universe. In fact, when we get to Genesis, we first begin to see God as creator, this God who's creative and complex and powerful, this God who's beautiful, that created the mountains and the most gorgeous sunsets that we could ever see. That's the God that we encounter in scripture. And God begins to reveal himself to us, and we get to know this God that is so, um, yeah, and th- those two words were the ones that were sticking out to me, who's so creative, yet so complex that scientists and all of our knowledge and all of our textbooks can study the human body for generations upon generations and not really come to a full understanding or can study the universe and oh, for generations upon generations and thousands of years and not fully understand it. And there's still so much to know about it, but there's a God that created it. And so we get into the book of Genesis and we see that God is the creator God. And then as the Old Testament narratives begin to unfold, beginning with Uh, stories like the story of Abraham, we begin to see God as this generous God who gives to his people, but also this jealous God, these two things that we almost have to hold in tension. We see this God that says, I will bless you, I will give to you, I will provide for you, but I want you to be mine and mine alone. I am the one true God. And so we see this God that's jealous for his people, and that's all about what he's doing and accomplishing in this world. And the scriptures continue to unfold, and we get to the gospels, and we see this God that's revealing himself himself through Jesus Christ as being full of grace and, and truth. And Jesus' grace kind of got 
him in trouble because he was with and hung out with and spent time with people that he that, that people in his day, at least the religious leaders of his day, felt like he shouldn't have been. But the Bible is revealing God's character and um, God's personality to us. And even with all of this revelation, right, thousands of years of God's person, God's character, his attributes being revealed to us, there's still much mystery that remains Right? We don't, we don't understand God, we, and, and we'll never fully understand God. We, don't, we can't enclose our understanding. We, there's no, uh, did I ever say this before? I think I said this before. There's no God for Dummies book, right? There's no book that's everything there is to know about God book. We will never fully understand this creative yet complex uh, God. Much mystery remains, and particularly uh, a lot of this mystery remains in in, in thinking about how God works in our world today. And, and we use words to talk about um, God's work in our world like providence or protection, right? God's providence, God being able to take a situation and ultimately work it out for his good and for his purposes in this world. It's almost this imagery of God working behind the scenes, accomplishing his purposes in, in the world. We, we think about this providence, but, but the mechanics of that is what's a mystery to me. Like, what does it mean to say that we pray to God and that God hears, and what does God do with that? How does God actually working in our world. And so there's a lot of mystery that remains about God's revelation and how God is still active and involved and working in our world. In fact, um, this is a place, I mean, this is a place where I think um, it's easy to stumble in the life of faith. Um, Because the scriptures challenge us to trust God even through mystery, even through the unknown, even when I can't see how God can be involved in this situation, or even when I can't imagine this being God's will for my life, even when I can't, I can't quite figure out where God's will is in the midst of this place where I am in my life. And the scriptures challenge us to, in the, that place of mystery, in this space of unknown, to trust God and to push our way through it in faith and obedience to God. You see, God has chosen to reveal himself to us, and this mystery still remains, but God is still revealing himself to the world. In fact, what we see in the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament, is that God has chosen to make himself known through Jesus' disciples. God has chosen to reveal himself through Jesus' disciples. Now, in the Gospel of John, where we've been for the last couple of weeks, we were in John chapter 15, and now we're in John chapter 16. Um, But in chapter 15, at the beginning, Jesus uses this vine and branches message metaphor uh, to say that, um, that you are my representatives is ultimately what he's teaching us through this metaphor. If you look back for just a moment in John chapter 15, verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me, and I in him, 
he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. And so what he's showing us is that our, um, that our, um, our ultimate purpose in life is to live as representatives of God, that God has chosen to reveal himself through Jesus' disciples, that our world is going to come to know Um, is going to come to know God through us. Maybe that's the easier way of saying that, that the world is going to come to know God through Jesus' disciples, through the church, through the way the church lives and interacts in the world. The, The world is going to decide what they think about Jesus Christ based on our faithfulness. In fact, later in that same chapter, we already looked at this last week, where it says, if the world hates you, um, uh, uh, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, um, because of this, the world hates you. And so Jesus is teaching his disciples that uh, as God continues to reveal himself, right, he revealed himself in creation. He revealed himself Uh, um, by calling a people and forming a people for himself in the Old Testament. He revealed himself in the gospel through Jesus Christ. He's revealing himself in the New Testament and now through the church, right? He's making himself known through the church. As he does that, he's saying, hey, you're going to face some of the same hardships that Jesus faced as God's, um, God's person got revealed in the flesh. And I've been trying for the life of me to take a step back and put myself in the shoes of Jesus' disciples who heard this message and who felt the weight of responsibility. Because you see, what, what God has done, God has chosen to make his mission dependent upon Jesus' disciples, not just the 12, right? God has chosen to make his mission depended upon Jesus' disciples, not the 12, but everyone that would ever make a decision to follow Jesus. He has placed his mission in, in our hands, in a sense, right? He, he's called us to, to represent him, to represent him well. And, and so the church is God's representative in the world. And, and for me, like when I read the scriptures, I begin to see this, and he says, I am the vine, you are the branches, you are a part of me, my life flows through you, and, and the world is going to come to know me by you. Like, I am God's representative in this world. In fact, Paul kind of picks up on that theme uh, in, in uh, 2, 2 Corinthians uh, 5, verse, verse 20. I'm just going to read a, a verse or two. Uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 5, verse 20. Listen to what it says. He says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And I don't know if the next verse is on there. Yeah, it is. He, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. You see what Paul picked up from um, what Jesus taught, um, Paul being the writer of 2 Corinthians, a minister who wrote to the church uh, in Corinth. Uh, is what this letter is. What he picked up uh, is that we are God's representatives in this world, that God has chosen to reveal himself through his disciples. So the way that we 
love, a primary virtue of a, of, a, of a disciple of Jesus Christ, the way that we show grace, the way that we forgive, our kindness, our compassion, our attributes, as we show the attributes of God, the world is going to come to know, know God. And we see this playing out in our society. We, we see this playing out um, in sad and hurtful ways, and sometimes in ways that that ultimately, no matter what we do, we can't control. Um, but we do see this playing out in our world in ways that people are walking away from God because of experiences that they had with the church, right? People are determining what they think about God based upon their experience and what they think about the church. Because the reality is, whether we like it or not, God has chosen to reveal himself, to make himself known through the church, through his disciples. And so when we see stuff like um, these, these rules and we see regulations in the scriptures, when we see commands and instructions in the scripture, those commands and those instructions are written to a people that are feeling the weight of being representatives of God people through whom God is making himself known. And when the disciples began to feel, as Jesus is explaining to them, because this is the section of the gospel we're in, in, in John chapter uh, 16 this morning, where Jesus is kind of sitting down having this final conversation uh, with the disciples, and he's explaining to them what's getting ready to happen to him. And they, he's actually going to explain to them that he's going to be crucified, that they're going to see him die, that he's no longer going to physically be with them. Um, as, they're, as they're hearing that, they're hearing... Um, Yeah, I mean, they're hearing that the one uh, in whom this, this mission has been um, based, what God is doing in the world, has been seen, is no longer going to be with them, and they're feeling the weight of that. Um, and, and I guess my thing is I want us to, to feel the weight of that, too. Um, I, I want us to be where the disciples were and feel the weight of when we walk out of this door, the way we interact with someone at Publix right, the way we interact with someone at McDonald's, right, the way we respond to our neighbor um, whose kids keep leaving trash in our yards, right, the way we respond to that neighbor, right, I want us to feel the weight of we are God's representatives and we must respond to situations and things in this world in a godly way. We must live out this reality of being God's representatives and feel that weight. In fact, this changes the way, when we get this, this changes the way we wake up every single morning of every single day and the way we make every single decision, almost every single day. I'm not sure that it matters what color socks you wear, right? Um, um, but, but almost every decision that we make, right, it, it makes a difference in those decisions because here we are, um, God's representatives, and people are going to determine what they think about God by what they think about us. 
And so when we get in the Gospel of John, what he's teaching again is the Holy Spirit. We saw this a couple of weeks ago. He was teaching on the Holy Spirit, and that time he was teaching about the Holy Spirit to comfort them because he knew that the disciples were going to be confused and saddened by the fact that he was no longer going to be with them. So he teaches about the Holy Spirit to comfort them, but this time he teaches about the Holy Spirit from a slightly different perspective. He wants to encourage them, empower them, if you will, to continue to live out the faith even in Jesus' absence. So listen to what he says. Uh, I'll back back and read uh, John chapter 16, verse 5. But now I am going to him who sent me. And so this is Jesus. The disciples are walking along a road. Um, they've had their final meal before the cross. Jesus has washed their feet. He's unpacking the significance of the cross. As he's going to um, ultimately to the garden where he's going to pray and soldiers are going to come and arrest him and things are going to uh, um, go downhill rather rapidly and he's going to be on a cross. As, it, as they're walking down the road, he just can't stop talking to them and giving them instruction. And he says, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. And so he's recognizing the emotions and the weight that the disciples are feeling, knowing that they're going to be absent from Jesus' physical presence from this day forward, knowing that they're going to be scattered all over the world and they're not going to have Jesus as the, uh, the glue that held them uh, together, that they were his followers. Uh, and then in verse 6, listen to what it says. But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart, verse 7, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage, advantage that I go away, for, I do not go, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And so this is one of those verses that goes, what do you mean to my advantage that I go away? What do you mean um, that it's, it's a good thing that you're going away? And what Jesus is teaching his disciples here is that yeah, they're feeling the weight of responsibility of representing God in the world. But he's saying here in this verse that you have help, right? That there is one who will help you along the way as you um, become the appearance of Christ and make an appeal for Christ, right? As you, as you represent him and call people to follow him, there's one who's going to walk the road with you and he's going to help you. In fact, when he says this word advantage, what he's teaching his disciples is this. Um, although Jesus did some incredible things, right? We, we saw some of those, right? The water to wine, the um, feeding the 5,000. Um, although Jesus did some incredible things, he was only able to be in one place at a time. If the disciples were all at home and in different places, Jesus wasn't able to be at Peter's home and Matthew's home and John's home, he, he wasn't able to be there with them physically in, in the present, in, in his physical presence. But what he's teaching them is though that the, when the Holy Spirit comes, right, when God's Spirit comes, when the, the helper, he called the helper uh, God's Spirit, the helper in John chapter 14, he calls him helper again in John chapter 15. And so if you've been tracking with us, you know that's when he says helper, that's what he's talking about is the Holy Spirit. When the helper comes, he's going to be with you no matter where you are. And so he's teaching him that, that God's Spirit is present with you always in every situation, in every 
circumstance that wherever you go, that God's Spirit is with you, and He's going to help you. And then He kind of unpacks for us uh, the ways that God's Spirit helps us. But what I want you to see here is this image of what's going to happen with the disciples. Um, Last week we talked a little bit about this, but as soon as Jesus goes to the cross, um, disciples are left to carry out this mission, to live into God's mission in this world as God's representatives. And they're going to be scattered to different countries in different places. And they're going to to, um, face circumstances that are beyond their imagination. Uh, situations that will make them want to give up and quit. And what Jesus is doing here is, is, on the one hand, he's encouraging them and saying, don't quit, keep pressing on, continue the ministry, um, because I am with you wherever you are. And, and I think that's a word that is a word uh, for us, the church today, right? No matter what you're going through, right? No matter how you're, you judge your situation, your circumstance, um, no matter how it feels, right? That, that this is not the time to give up because God's presence is with you in God's spirit. And what Jesus' disciples ended up seeing in their testimony is powerful for us, is that they continued in the faith, they pressed through. They did ministry on behalf of God. God did ministry through them powerfully. Um, and, and, and we're reading their story today. And like, like I, I think there's different, there's different motives. Um, there's different motives for people. In other words, if I, um, I could stand here and say I want people a thousand years from now to be reading my story. Um, that could come out of a place of pride and kind of thinking that my story's worth worth reading. Um, so that that could be a motive there. Like I, I want a book to be written about my life, right? Right. That, like I, I could stand here and say that, um, and it could come from a negative place, sinful place of pride. But I could also stand here and say, I want people to be reading about my life and it come from a place of humility and knowing that the God that we serve is able to do book-worthy things, right? Stuff that's worth recording in books for our lives. He took ordinary men and did incredible things in and through their lives, book-worthy things, gospel-worthy things, Bible-worthy things through the lives of ordinary men. And I think that's the posture that he's calling us as Jesus' disciples to have. He was calling these disciples to have. He's saying, my spirit is going to be with you wherever you go. And the story that your life Life becomes as a result of my spirit is going to be one worth telling. It's going to be one that well represents God well. And that's the same posture that he's calling us to have here before God and recognizing that it's to our advantage that we don't have Jesus' physical presence with us. Because if it was, it would be like, like when, when something needed to be done, everybody would look at Jesus. Um, and, and he's causing us to look within, right? And not just look within at our own strength and our own ability, but look within at his spirit's presence in our life that's able to do beyond what we could imagine or think. 
And then he says, he goes on to say in verse 8, it says, and he will, and, and he, when he comes, will convict the world. That the Spirit, when he comes, is going to convict the world. And so he's showing us that the primary way uh, that God's Spirit is working in the world is by convicting the world. Now, you remember last week, we talked about world, the world being um, divine, divinely ordered system in active rebellion against God. I think that was the definition we were working with last week. That it is God's creation. We see in Genesis chapter 1, God created it, and it was good. It was divinely ordered. He brought something out of nothing. He, he made order out of chaos. He spoke things into existence. He said it is good to say that all the systems of the world were working together. This thing wasn't just going to crumble, disintegrate, or go away. That the world was made ordered by God. And so God ordered this world, but this world is living an act of rebellion against God. That is, the things that happen in this world aren't always godly things. And the values system of this world isn't uh, in line with God's value system. And so what, what he says here is that when the Spirit of God comes, this is how God's Spirit um, is active and involved in the world, and, and also particularly how God's Spirit helps us is that he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This world word convict that he uses here means to expose an error in one's way of thinking. To expose an error in one's way of, of thinking. It almost has this, this idea of convincing someone of something, right? So the, the, the imagery here is of a, like kind of like a courtroom drama. Now don't When you think courtroom, don't think Judge Judy... Or uh, who's the other Joe Macon? Who's on now, right? Um, don't, 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 don't quite think that. Um, but this imagery of this, this courtroom drama where the prosecuting attorney stands up before the judge and begins um, presenting evidence against the defendant. And, and here the defendant knows, right, that he's guilty, right? So this is the imagery for us, right? The, Im the defendant knows that he's guilty, guilty, and the prosecutor is standing there and he's presenting evidence upon evidence, and it's becoming undeniable of one's guilt, uh, and the defendant can either sit there and say, I'm guilty, they all know I'm guilty, but I'm not going to say anything. Or the defendant can sit there recognizing that all the evidence against him has been presented, and he can say, all right, I did it. I'm guilty. I'm convinced that I deserve the punishment. And the imagery in this passage is, is of that. When he says convince, he says it, it's to expose an error in one's way of thinking or to convince one of their wrong. And so he says that the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is doing, not, not specifically in the church, at least not in this passage, he doesn't say that, but in the world is that the world is bringing, con the, the Spirit is bringing conviction to the world. He's convincing the world um, of its uh, error of errors in its thinking. In other words, what he's saying is that God's mission, God has chosen to make his mission dependent upon us, but, but that God is working with us as we uh, live out his mission in this world. So God, that, that's our helper, right? God is working with us. So God hasn't totally said, hey, you do this. He says, we do this. And so when we go out in the world, we're going with God. God is going with us. God is accompanying us in his work in the world. God is going before us. God is making ways for us. And what, what um, 
what, what I believe in my heart that Jesus wants the disciples to do is that when they see him crucified, um, and even when they see him ascend into heaven, that confidence rises up inside of them, that they don't begin to shrink back but that confidence rises up inside of them because they know that the work that they're doing, they're fully confident of the fact that they are working with God. And and this is one of the hardest parts of the Christian life. And this is a place where I find myself having to pray to God Strengthen my faith here. Because, I mean, I think this is human nature, but I'm quick, just like anyone else, to, 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 to um, observe, to evaluate, and make a decision. Right? I, I'll observe a situation. I will evaluate that I am powerless to do anything about it. And I'll make a decision in a heartbeat to walk away from it. And what the scriptures are doing is it's challenging our way of living in the world where now and as a result of God's spirit, we observe, right? We, we see what's happening. We, we evaluate and maybe see the impossibilities. And we say, but God. But God is able, and he's with me. He's my helper. And Jesus has said, this is to my advantage. This is going to allow God to do things through me that I would not ordinarily be able to do. In fact, sometimes we think about the Holy Spirit as the supernatural presence of God. And too often we are living simply blinded by the natural, right? Blinded by what's physically possible for us. Blinded by what I'm able to do by my own skills and abilities. Blinded by my own failures and things that I've fallen short on in the past. And not able to see the supernatural power of God that works through Jesus' disciples. And that's what we begin to see in in the New Testament. And I I love uh, Acts chapter 2, at the beginning of Acts chapter two, where the disciples, yeah, immediately after they saw Jesus crucified, they, um, I, I, well, let's just put it this way. I imagine if they would have lived today, they would have gotten, gone to Home Depot and they would have bought out all the deadbolt locks, right? They locked themselves in a room. They would have put all the locks on the day. It would have been like five different locks, right? A series of locks. They would have locked the doors because they go, hey, what happened to him? That ain't happening to me. You're not going to catch me. Like, it's not going to happen. And here they are locked in a room for fear. But, but what we see is by the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, you can go back and read that passage, uh, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same people who were immediately locked behind doors doors for fear of what happened to Jesus might just happen to them are standing boldly in the presence of the same people that just crucified Jesus and preaching and proclaiming the gospel to them calling them to repent be baptized and turn and accusing them to their faces of nailing God in the flesh to the cross 
And there's such boldness. And that boldness was because they observed, they recognized how impossible it was. And in the natural, they locked themselves behind doors. But by God's supernatural power, they came out from behind those doors and God did incredible things through them. And the church exists because they recognized that God was working with them to accomplish his mission in the world. Incredible things happen when the church recognizes that. It changes the way we dream. It changes the way we see this world. And I imagine my hope and my prayer for Tri-Cities Church would be that as we, a new church, uh, adolescent church, um, approach our fifth year anniversary, my prayer is that we will see this renewed sense of confidence and boldness by God's Spirit, that we as a church will dream, that we as a church will do and accomplish great things together, that we as a church will do things that our society, our world may look at and think that's impossible for a church that size or a, that small group of people shouldn't be able to do that kind of thing or those people ought not have that kind of boldness. But what they see is that it's God's Spirit that is working through us God's church in this, this world. I dream that that's going to happen here at Tri-Cities Church. The Holy Spirit, when he comes, verse 8, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now let's look before we close at these three things that he says the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of. The first thing he says is the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of uh, concerning sin. The Holy Spirit is going to convict, verse 8, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. Um, what John does often in this gospel is that he looks at sin not just as a moral category, but as a theological category category. It's what you do with Jesus. Ultimately, it's where sin begins. It has to do with what you do with Jesus, what you believe about Jesus, because what Jesus was about was not simply changing our habits or changing our behavior, right? He didn't come to teach us a better way to live. Rather, he called people to believe in him, and John picks up on that. In fact, I believe that's why he records his seven miracles, right? That's why he says these things in, in John, I think it's 20 or 21, at the end of this gospel, we'll get there, where he says these things have been written so that you might believe, right? The whole purpose of reading this gospel is so that you might believe, not so that you might change your behavior, right? Not so that you might say, I'm going to do different tomorrow, and I'm going to find the strength within to do that, but so that you might believe, 
Because Jesus knew, John knows, and I believe they both want us to know that belief is the beginning of transformation. That when we fully believe in Jesus Christ, that it's impossible to believe and live, continue living the same old lives. And so he doesn't put belief first or or, um, uh, morality or change of life first as a principle for us to strive for, but he puts belief first. First is what God primarily wants from us, knowing that when we believe, um, then we follow. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, this, this has all kinds of practical implications for our lives. It, it, one of the practical implications that it has for our lives is that, that, um, that yeah, we, 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 can fall, um, we can fall into this routine of trying to change our habits in trying to change our behavior and growing frustrated in that space and, and, and in fact, giving up in that space, like saying this just isn't working. And, and I believe here the scriptures are challenging us um, that instead of trying to attack um, moral issues or moral failures in our life first, that we strengthen our belief in Jesus Christ that we pray, um, God, help my unbelief. God, help me to believe. That we um, find ourselves, make space in our lives for us to spend time in the Scriptures, studying them and getting to know this God and deepening our belief by spending time with God. That we make being a part of the church a regular and consistent practice of ours so that we can be around other believers, so that we can be spurred on by other believers, so that we can be encouraged by other believers, so that our belief will deepen and transformation will be a product of that. He says, when he comes, that's the Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin. He's going to reveal to the world um, is lack of belief in Jesus Christ. And that's the ultimate sin. And he's going to continue to reveal to us its lack, our lack of belief in Jesus Christ. And that belief isn't, some, isn't a point that we arrive at, but it's something that deepens as we walk with the Lord throughout all of life. Second thing he says is that when, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. You could almost think about righteousness here as right or wrong. Or, but what we see is that the Spirit here is continuing the work that Jesus did, whereas the religious leaders had this kind of self-righteousness. They felt like they had arrived, that they were worth places of honor because of their ability to follow a moral code. What Jesus did was he came and he showed them inadequacies in their, uh, in their life, ways that they fell short of the righteousness of God Almighty. And what the Holy Spirit does is show us that we, have, we, we always have room to grow. We always have room for progress in our lives. And so the Spirit is convicting the world, is showing the world That good without God ultimately is not good. 
that the pathway to righteousness and goodness and the world that God envisions is ultimately through God as he's been revealed to us through Jesus Christ. And so the world can look and say, I can be righteous or right without God. And, and John and Jesus is saying, no, the Spirit is going to convict you concerning righteousness. There's no good without God. And then finally, he says that the Holy Spirit is going to convict us concerning judgment. Verse 11, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. By ruler of this world, he's talking about Satan, that, that Jesus ultimately is defeating Satan on the cross, that the one who's ruled this world through death, right, has been his greatest weapon, has been defeated on the cross. And so the world's judgment um, that, that, um, that says that, uh, that ultimately death reigns and in the end death wins, the world's judgment is proved by Jesus to be False. In fact, the world's judgment on a number of things through Jesus is proved to be false. And then after he says all of this, he encourages the church. And I just want to close with these verses in verse 12. Um, he says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. One of the most valuable things we can do in the Christian life, um, life of following Jesus Christ, is to recognize that God's Spirit will guide us in ways that we cannot guide ourselves. That God's Spirit will lead us into action and into ministry in ways that we would not envision for ourselves. And one of the things that will make us feel most uncomfortable in this world is pursuing those things because we know that we're in a space of inadequacy, a space of feeling ill-equipped for the task. But as our faith rises up and our belief in God's Spirit rises up and the fact that He is with us and empowering us in the same way that He empowered His disciples, we're able to let God lead let God's Spirit lead so that in the midst of uncomfortable spaces, discomfort, um, we're able to follow the comforter, as John calls the Spirit, and live into that tension in life, in ministry, where God's mission is carried out by an uncomfortable people being comforted by his spirit. Amen. Let's pray.